Welcome to the desert of the real. We have only bits and pieces of information, but what we know for certain is that at some point in the early 21st century, all of mankind was united in celebration. We marveled at our own magnificence as we gave birth to the Olympic Games of 2012. 2012. 2012. Hello and welcome back to TF for the week. Uh, I'm Riley. You may remember me from every other episode of this podcast. Once again, we are joined by Milo. Hello, it's me, your boy. Um, I've not choked anyone yet. It's going well. <laughs> yeah, he is having a comparatively better 24 hours than certain members of the of the Conservative Party who remind us that when we say Blue Lives Matter, we're not just talking about the cops. And the thing is, if you could get thrown out of the Conservative Party for choking a woman, it'd be a very small party. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also joined by Hussein Kesvani. Hey, I'm back in the studio. I feel like I haven't been here for a long time. Yeah, you know, it's 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 changed quite a bit. Uh, yeah. The lights are more hospital-like. Elon Musk has a couple more stickers in a pakol. But the towel mm. is still there. Yes, fortunately. And we have Nate on the damn boards. Hello, here editing, not choking people for the time being. Yeah, they are. We are all doing better than Mark Field. I don't think that sounds as reassuring as you thought that uh, it did. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps Nate only chokes people in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he only chokes me because I'm not. I'm not close enough to. I'm never close enough to the microphone. Mm. He's just like had enough, like you know, like it'll be, it'll be, it'll be one of those movies where he finally has enough of his like really annoying colleague, and then just yeah, he's yeah. doing it like Darth Vader style from across the room. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's like it's like the movie Falling Down, but uh, it's because Hussein never fucking talks into the microphone. I I just get intimidated sometimes. Is Falling Down a, a jaunty French retitling of the film Downfall? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we are joined by returning champion Ash Sarkar. Ash, how are you doing today? Oh man, I feel like I'm dying. Um, I've not I've not been choked recently. I just have a cold, so I'm going to try and cough away from the microphone. Okay, the, excellent, excellent. Because phlegm in the corner. This That's is fine. yeah, of That's course. Fine. So if Ash stops talking a while at some point through this, uh, she has succumbed to her Victorian wasting disease, uh, and we will be, of course, giving her a dignified send off. However, we are actually talking today uh, about a subject that is very, very close to my heart, um, and it is in fact the dignified send off uh, that was given to Britain in 2012 because folks it's time to talk about the moment that broke the brains of liberal britain the london 2012 olympics opening ceremony hip-hop air horns please now put in the real ones uh, in the edit because that probably <laughs> just sounded weird yeah of course now, uh <laughs> nate i know you were in america for this but uh where were you guys all during the uh london olympics opening ceremony uh, I was I was at home. Uh, a bunch of my friends got arrested that night. Uh, it, they, they, this was like when um, the left was split between still being part of sort of weird Trotskyist sect and then everyone else was an anarchist. Mm. Um, I was an anarchist. I was just lazy and also I couldn't ride a bike. But the ones that could ride a bike and who weren't lazy, <laughs> which was most of them, decided to do like a critical mass take back the streets kind of thing where it was like cycling en masse to sort of disrupt the area around the olympic stadium um and absolutely everyone got arrested just everyone got nicked so i was like keeping up with it on twitter and i was like oh guess there's nothing to do but watch david beckham with the olympic <laughs> torch now 
or my friends are in jail. Yeah, that's, mm. I mean, if there was ever going to be a, not necessarily a metaphor, but like an event that was a synecdoche for that, for the entire story that that thing was telling, it was a group of people who were trying to draw attention to and change a wider social thing were arrested so that people could watch David Beckham deliver the Olympic torch. But it was also kind of like, it was kind of that moment for the left where everyone had read David Harvey and stuff about the right to the city. And at the same time could see the way in which the city as a commons was just being enclosed at every angle. Mm. It was like, what, a year after the riots? Um, there was the big blue wall, which like had gone up around like Hackney and Walthamstow and Tower Hamlets for the Olympics. And everyone was like really, really pissed off. And so all those things were really good. And then because there wasn't a sense of scale and actions at scale outside of like somewhat spontaneous ones. It was like, well, what do we do about this? I guess we're going to have to do some disruptive cycling, lads. <laughs> There's nothing else for it. <laughs> Milo? Where was I? Um, I, think I, was, I think I was at my parents' house because um, it would have been university holidays. And I seem to remember I actually like avoided watching it because like, I would periodically, I think my parents were watching it and I'd periodically come in and I'd be like, yep, this is awful. Because um, it's just like at that point, not for political reasons, but just because it's so like mawkishly shite. It's just like and they're like oh, like like a really twee and visiting. Oh, isn't everything? Isn't everything lovely? Like it's like oh, fuck off. I don't know. I've always been contrary and horrible, so hey, you know. You've got like Brendan over. I may not have been. I may not have been so woke back in those days, but yeah. I certainly did hate mawkish sentimentality. So my views on the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony haven't changed. I was living in Hong Kong at the time. Okay, very cool way. But uh, yeah, it, so, it, so, it, 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 nothing <laughs> happened there. Yeah, well, you know, you know, you know, in Hong Kong there were like the pro, there were like the kind of occup the hangover of the Occupy protest still happening. So, um, you know, they you could see like some of them watch. You could see some of them watching it on their on their phones, which was very weird. And it was kind of it was a bit weird being far away and people kind of asking you about. Oh, you must be so excited about the Olympics coming to London. Um, and not really having an answer for it. So I kind of only, I experienced it through like headlines and I experienced it through Facebook posts that were like the London mm. 2012 uh, opening ceremony was just amazing. And look, even the Queen was there. Damn. I mean, it Damn. was it was a really weird, like everyone had been like super critical and I, I'd been like super critical and I was like ready to hear everything. And then I was like, it's quite cool that Usain Bolt is going to be in London. That's quite cool. Quite excited mm. about that. Like, I know it's so lame. I'm just quite excited about being in the vicinity of Usain Bolt. <laughs> like, I could breathe a molecule of air that had been in Usain Bolt's lungs. Mm. Which, and really, that's love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so, how you get pregnant, lads. So be careful. <laughs> However, of course, everyone knows uh, the real left, Chakurumana, uh, had this to say, looking back on the 2012 Olympics opening ceremonies, and this is kind of why we're talking about this. In, 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 in something he wrote like two or three political parties ago, um, he, said, he wrote, what are progressives for? Remember the opening of the London 2012 Olympics? Britain had a unique chance to tell the world who we were and what mattered to us, and we absolutely nailed it. We've never had a chance to do that before. <laughs> and chosen to display it through concentration camps. <laughs> there was a lyrical opening scene inspired by Shakespeare. The Queen parachuted in with James Bond. Mr. Wait, Bean made an appearance. Wait, think that was actually the Queen? Don't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> this is Chakravana's Santa Claus. <laughs> um, we celebrated that NHS, Tim Berners-Lee, the British inventor of the World Wide Web, sent a tweet live from the stage. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. 
a tweet saying, did you call my wife a prostitute in the comment section of the Dizzy, Dizzy Rascal provided the soundtrack to a house party there in an actual house erected in the middle of the stadium with the world watching. Whoa, not a real house. Wow, only, nothing says Britain like a house. The only well, That was the only place in London where grime wasn't illegal at the time, right? <laughs> yeah. It was the only house actually being built by the government. Um, got him. Got him, chief. It takes a, it takes quite a wonderful and remarkable country to pull off such a show. You know, sending a tweet, building a single house. I know, man. Does this man, like, have, has he never been to, like, Las Vegas, where they do these types of shows, like, all the time? Or, mm. I don't know, just, like, any... I'm pretty sure like there are countries who do like very elaborate shows and they're very kind yeah. of specific reasons why they do elaborate national shows. Yeah. Well, now the th- no one's surprised about the Olympic ceremony anymore because now we realize that all these people were on cocaine. But like at the time, <laughs> no one knew that. So they were just like, like whoa, really, they've really thought outside the box here. They were just really into all the lights and stuff. I mean, I kind of feel, I mean, this, this nurtures one of my like weird grudges and well not grudge really but like theories about Dizzy Rascal which is he was just like actually I fucking hate East London yeah. I hate Hackney and I hate where I'm from I'm just gonna like go hang out with Calvin Harris on like a June he buggy he lives in Chislehurst now like, he and lives now, in but Kent he's, right? he's moved back but this is supposed to oh, be like the sort of like you know re- return of like a Hackney boy done good come home and he's yeah. like doing like the worst Dizzy track ever in front of like a kind of like Barely what did, aware what crowd of extras. I think he did bonkers. Oh, okay. Because like, I feel, I, I feel kind of sorry for him, just in the sense that obviously we were all around, but I, um, you know, when Dizzy Rascal was like a, a thing among kind of white indie kids who had just transitioned from their emo phase, and Dizzy Rascal was being booked on like every kind of white boy festival mm. that you could think of, and I was at the Reading Festival, I think in two thousand and eight or nine when he was there, and like he just had to pay, play these songs that white kids really liked. Um, because I, he played, I, I don't know, he played some track, which was like one of his old, like mixtape ones. And like no one heard it. Right. It right. Sad. And it was just very, it was yeah. just really, really weird to kind of but be. But then he did Kiss Me by Sixpence None the Richer and it went off. And then, well, <laughs> thing, then, it, then it transitions to like, then it transitions to one of his tracks with Calvin Harris. And suddenly like all these white kids are just going like wild for it. I just, I just don't understand how anyone can actually enjoy Calvin Harris because I don't think Calvin Harris actively enjoys making the music that he makes for people like every song is the same every did. music video is exactly the same and i think that can only come from a place of like deep hatred for your audience mm. well um Sorry, that's, <laughs> no that's no, no isn't he like the richest musician in the world or something he's Calvin Harris, fucking rich man. which is amazing because he's so irrelevant to music he's like somehow the richest and most successful and yet also the most pointless so so chucka continues the vision we sought to present to the world, a country not only proud of our history, but proud of what we have become. Open, humorous, decent, confident, and modern. What a people. This is the Britain I love. I feel and see it in Streatham, southwest London, where I grew up and where I now have the privilege of representing in Parliament for whatever party I currently belong to today. It is my theory that the Olympic 2012 opening ceremony was to London, the UK what the entire Obama presidency was to the United States. Um, in terms of liberal nostalgia, post 2016, when we when centrist columnists and Chakramana and all these people say, "I want to go back to normal," what they really mean is, "I want to feel the way I felt about Britain when I was watching the opening ceremony." In this essay, I will. <laughs> yes, all and it and as we, I what I have done is I have actually found the media guide 
where the opening ceremony is described for the media by the people who put it on under its own terms. And my goodness, does it contain some gems. So for our American listeners, you're about to really dive into uh, British psychology. For our British listeners, get ready to hear about um, what some of the most mawkish idiots in our country think about it. So um, for a little bit of background, as Ash mentioned earlier, this did take place in East London. Uh, where I I currently live, um, and a big big part of it was we are going to bring the Olympics to our country. We are going to regenerate it. So here's what Boris Johnson had to say: This evening's opening ceremony celebrates the best of London, past, present, and future. But the games are not just about are not just celebrating what London has to offer. They are also helping to shape it. The stadium in which you sit is at the center of a transformational renaissance for East London, with investment providing much-needed homes, jobs, and green space for Londoners, and infrastructure that is already attracting investment from around the world. Ugh. The fucking, like, the Olympic Park is the most cursed part of London, and the idea that this was ever going to be part of any kind of, like, regeneration for East London is, like, really, like, (laughs) so, the only person I know who's lived in the Olympic Park is a mate of mine who, uh, at the time, worked for Deloitte, (laughs) and, um, and Deloitte were putting all of their graduate scheme people from Oxbridge into the Olympic Park, where they- the new working class. Yeah, where they'd rented them these ridiculously overpriced flats, which were, like, horrible and made out of papier-mâché, and, like, everything there was, like, you know how, like, most of East London now is, like, annoyingly overpriced like hipster cafes that are shit and will sell you like a vegan milkshake for like eight pounds whoa whoa brendan o'neill <laughs> i didn't know you well, were because it's, it's, it's overpriced the turning point uk just jumped out. <laughs> <laughs> let's see who milo really is low tax chloe no brendan o'neill and i have now swapped he writes the parody brendan o'neill and i write the real brendan o'neill um <laughs> But the the Olympic Park is like a fake version of that. So it's like Deloitte have come in and been like, okay, we're going to now build like 400 fake vegan hipster cafes. So it's like that, but they're all like run by like the same interchangeable. They're all run by Serco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like another layer of like ridiculous. A really good example of this is just like the buildings that the kind of homes that they've made around um, West Stratford, Westfield. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to go do a podcast the other week and to get to this person's house to record it, I had to go through Stratford, Westfield. Um, like as in through the shopping center to kind of get to these the podcast is progress right? there's no way around it unless you have mm. like a car there's no way that you can actually like physically go around it you have to go through the shopping center you actually and- have to get there by swagway it's very <laughs> well what they've done is they've kind of integrated it so it almost like if you look at it from like an aerial view of the outside view like these flats look as if they're part of the shopping center it's just like this really weird like almost like fantasy world where it, it reminds it reminds me a lot of Hong Kong, where like so much of so many of the train stations were just kind of extensions to like big malls, and everywhere you went, everything was just like a shopping mall. That is like the Essex dream. It's like, oh my god, imagine if you could like live in Lakeside. <laughs> Lakeside's Although, good. You I'm could, sorry, well, no, it, was, I'm it used to be good. It used Essex, to be good. Man, no, I grew up in Essex. Dream. I can talk shit about Essex as nah, much as I man. want. <laughs> no Essex girl would be seen dead in a Lakeside. That is Forum so Lakeside untrue. Lakeside <laughs> like, really isn't that bad compared to like the other shopping centers in that area anyway i mean also you could say that justice for lakeside yeah you can say it's the dream of uh, this dream of whatever this lakeside thing is or you could say it's basically or you could or you could say it's basically like someone read you know like those those quite sort of corny ad busters magazines from the 2000s where there'll be like more kids know the ford logo than a maple leaf or whatever 
Um, oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. as though someone read an ad busters and was like, yep, we're just going to do this. We're going to turn, we're just going to add, we're, we're going to turn this into the villain from ad busters. It is that on the nose. Um, well, I mean, it, but it does, it does feel quite like there is like the, like the entire legacy of the, of the Olympics on East London has been one of, um, privatizing a bunch of stuff that we and redeveloping that we didn't have the will the political will to do for ourselves and instead just allowing a bunch of private contractors to come in and turn it into like an axe throwing bar that's above a video game shop in effect i mean it also does go hand in hand with what followed the riots and no one could predict the riots happening or spreading in the way that they did but what i felt was most striking about it is just the speed with which people were displaced after that so like number one, you've got like twenty-four hour magistrates court, so you just have this churn of people being uh banged up and serving custodial sentences for the most absurd mm. offences for like what happened during the riots. Two, you've got like a bunch of funding coming in, which is basically trying to target and fragment and disperse uh working class communities of colour around North and East London in particular, so like Tottenham and Hackney. And luckily, that's going hand in hand with the sort of project of social cleansing, which they wanted to achieve for the Olympics anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, in fact, this this leads quite well into uh, into another another person writing on the uh, on the Olympics, not included in the media guide. Um, this is actually a section of Mark Fisher's uh, blog from an entry he did in 2008. So this is from K-Punk. Uh, and it's Mark describing walking through the pre-Olympics Lee Valley. Um, are you ready for the zone? From here on in, it's pure Tarkovsky. And so it was. Light industrial spaces, car records, yards, square windowed studios, haulage depots, and a mile further on, we hit the fence. The perimeter of the Olympic site is now secured by a plywood fence that is 10 feet high, around four miles long, bright blue in color, and chinkless. In places, it is double banked, in others, topped by razor wire. The fence is a barrier designed not only to exclude access, but vision. To see inside the zone, you must ascend to Stratford Tower Block, hire a helicopter, or visit the website, which provides stills of the construction process and mocked-up futuramas of the park. Light-glinted buildings, sparkling water features, happy munchkin people. The mocked-up park surrenders East London to the eventless horizon of the end of history, in which nothing happens forever. In between our many visits to the Lee Valley in 2003... And, and Ian Sinclair and Robert McFarlane's expedition in 2007 uh, was the awarding of the Olympic Games to London, which now was consumed by the CGI shadow of 2012. The first signs of a coming non-event is always the CGI. Damn, choke me, Mark Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know how I got these CGI mock-ups? <laughs> so, I think the um, there there is a sense, and I think as we get into the ceremony itself, that this was kind of portrayed as the end of history, right? And that the when we talk about the end of history, we talk about the um the fantasy that the conflicts are smoothed over, that everything is basically done and worked out and we're now just the project is now just turning the world into a larger and larger shopping mall where people's desires can be catered for more and more efficiently. But they're the desires that we have as imagined by capital in effect. I mean, what's interesting is that the project of uh, regenerating Stratford was always coming up against the last utopian residential vision, which was sort of from the 60s and the 70s and that kind of like legacy of like Mm. residential modernism. And so there was um, an estate called the Carpenter's Estate, which 
after the Olympics, uh, UCL, which was the university that I went to, tried to buy up that land, mm-hmm. demolish it, and they wanted to build um, an, another campus just like randomly in Stratford. And it ended up not happening because no one wanted to be responsible for demolishing it. And when you walked around the Carpenter's estate, it was really striking to see the sort of vestiges of a dream that was and now is no longer because mm. you don't just have these huge tower blocks where lots of people live, but uh, NHS walk-in centre, the idea was that you would have lots of little shops and cafes and like a little pub and things like that. And the idea was that you would have mm. um, a sense of community and it was all right there. And most of those shops, most of those cafes, the little pub uh, was still there by like 2012, 2013, had closed down. They were like completely dilapidated. Mm. But there was still um, hundreds of residents who refused to be displaced in there so it was always that thing of the the new uh residential dream coming up against the old one and this sort of mm. friction or antagonism that occurred when that happened well because that's we were living in a pre-matt hancock era when those businesses would have gone unencouraged <laughs> I mean, at the core of it isn't you know the olympic you know i was just thinking about what like Riley was saying about like the no what what the notion of the olympics is it's kind of it's a post it's marketed at, as this kind of environment where everyone sort of like let's go of international conflict um and they all come together for a common cause which is like you know to do some running um achievement sucks so when that becomes more chalk on a human body than i've ever seen (laughs) before so when when that so what they've basically what like chuck omuna and like everyone who kind of like valorizes the 2012 ceremony is doing is basically taking that ethos of like what the olympics is projected to be or like this is you know supposed to represent and basically making a political model out of them it's also interesting to me because um london is cited so often as the thing to not do by the part of people like the no no boston olympics campaign which i I was just a friend of mine was very involved in that uh because of the extent to which once planning permission is granted it's just it's things get steamrolled that would otherwise have required a lot more work on the part of developers. And it just becomes this free for all. And, and I think people in Los Angeles, people in Boston saw already that, you know, communities that were gentrified that were being squeezed out by capital and realized that London, London was the example of what you absolutely did not want to have happen. And it's weird because to watch people who um, you see this, this vision of the Olympics being cited so favorably, whereas like it's actually kind of become, at least in the US, this sort of buzzword for like the worst case scenario is the Olympics comes to your city. I'm just imagining a Boston Olympic Stadium. That's a huge pyramid, which would, of course, be built by the Irish. (laughs) Um, So without further ado, uh, let's get into the ceremony itself. Uh, It was called Isles of Wonder, and it was it was uh, directed by mawkish jackass Danny Boyle. Um, (laughs) Hey, uh, welcome to mawkish jackass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, I'm Danny Boyle, and this is me and Johnny Johnny Knoxville crying over uh, a video about the NHS. it was called Isles of Wonder. Some countries, he, he begins, have revolutions that change their whole nation. Britain had a revolution that changed the whole world. It was called colonialism. Thank you very much. <laughs> the Industrial mm. Revolution rebooted human existence. Nothing would ever be the same again. Mm, I mean, that again. is correct. It's yeah, just it's, not correct in the way that he thinks. It's correct. It's, it's just mm. if you want to draw a straight line from like the domina- from the domination of, of capital ownership, you get... You get like devoting an enormous amount of water and security manpower to keeping like golf course conditions in the Stratford Park. I mean, I actually, I, I think we're being uncharitable to Danny Boyle, and I think that actually what we think of as the limitations of his mawkish vision are in fact the limitations of the form. Because I remember that bit 
in the opening ceremony where they did like the industrial revolution is here and they actually made it look like as crap as you can in a big extravaganza olympic opening ceremony like mm. it was very much that reference to sort of like dark satanic mills that kind of shit yeah. and i think that in his head that's him doing a like I'm doing a warts and all look at British history. Yeah. And and of course he's not because it's the limitations of the form itself. I'm I'm saying that maybe the mawkishness isn't entirely his own. No. Yeah. I think we need to draw a distinction to here because there are two separate ways in which the Olympics opening ceremony is bad. There's the sen- there's sense one which is like more like just a comment on British society which is how this is not a reflection of what Britain is like. And then there's sense two which is in that like it's just like sentimental and wanky yeah. which is which is what Danny Boyle is guilty of but he's not guilty of I think like trying to like whitewash things no, I think he's just no. like just it's just boring well, I think the and I think the the I'll sort of prefigure a, a something that comes later which I think the the issue isn't that he he's yeah he's correct the industrial revolution was terrible uh, but I think the pro the my main problem about it is the way that it's used politically now as the sunlit uplands for the FBPE types but um what, I think the- Opening ceremony or the industrial revolution? The opening ceremony. I was going to be like, <laughs> yeah. I was going to be like, like Jolly and Mourn being like, you know what? If we stay in the EU and bring back child labour, I mean, we already know he has an affinity for mills. We just didn't know what kind of mills they are. <laughs> but if there's a No Deal Brexit, what will happen to the steam looms? <laughs> so, um, but I, I think that um, one of the what this is guilty of isn't of not of not portraying it accurately. It's of saying, yep, and all those problems are solved. Because uh, it, it says, yep, it's all in the past. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, yeah. And in fact, we'll get to this now as I go through this. Um, ahem. Uh, the, this is for everyone is the theme of the opening ceremony. A celebration of the creativity, exuberance, and overall the generosity hmm, of the British people. The ceremony will take us through the great revolutions in British society, the Industrial Revolution, the revolution of social attitudes that began in the 1960s, and the digital revolution we're living through now. Well, woven through it all, there order food from your phone. <laughs> yeah, good thing we had all those very mills. nearly the book structure for like fully automated luxury communism. <laughs> very nearly. A little to Danny Boyle know, but after the 2012 opening ceremony, something greater would happen, and that would be the Bluetooth-enabled chastity cage. <laughs> <laughs> now, if we could redo it now, but just yeah, <laughs> instead instead of all of the pro- all of the performers coming together with the NHS, they all come together in no. the shape of the Bluetooth-enabled chastity <laughs> no, cage. Yeah. The same, it would be the same opening ceremony, but everyone would have to wear a chastity cage. Yeah, yeah so exactly. They can focus. And they're all like unlocked by Tim Berners Lee <laughs> <laughs> with the press. And he goes, That's the power of the internet, baby. <laughs> oh shit, the Wi Fi's gone down. <laughs> um, and I might have an unpopular opinion. Go for Ooh. it. Is the vision of history that's presented in Danny Boyle's 2012 Olympic opening ceremony that different from the understanding of history which is generally perpetuated within Corbynist narratives? Um, no, no and yes. No, in that I think he does, he has portrayed history as a struggle. I'm not yeah. talking about Corbyn the individual, I'm yeah. talking about the sort of, um, you know, the intellectual work done around it so you sort Mm. of you know you think about the imagery of like the party political broadcasts you think about the centrality of protect our nhs you think about the way in which um there is a uh sometimes superficial multiculturalism maybe do you feel like like the sort of utopianism of the 70s that people are like if we could just recapture the 70s that it would be 
better than what we live in now. Because we what? talked about that with, I remember James Medway bringing that up about this weird, like he felt like it was sort of a trap of falling into this idea that like, oh, if you just make things back the way they were before Thatcher, everything would be great now. And it's like, but there were huge problems back then too. I, I think there are elements mm. of it. And I, and I think that there's, um, there are aspects in which uh, Corbynism struggles to free itself from a very, very liberal understanding of history in which there is a sense of, oh, because we're doing history from below, we can do a history in which uh, working class people have suffered, strived, better themselves, and then suffered again. And it's got very little interaction with uh, colonialism, mm. with the creation of what you might call like a labor aristocracy with some of the more exclusionary practices of trade union movements. Um, hasn't really uh, plumbed what uh, living in a multiracial society today means. Um, I'm just saying un- unpopular think, no, opinion. Weird, weirdly, weirdly enough, I think you may have exactly prefigured just now what Danny Boyle actually concludes on for the ultimate purpose of what his opening ceremony is about. Check this out. Woven through it all is a golden thread of purpose. The idea of Jerusalem, of a world that can be built through the prosperity of industry, the caring nation built on the welfare state, and the joyous energy of popular culture through the dream of universal communication. Yes, I actually, I think you basically more or less nailed it. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of plundering that went on during yeah. the process of actually the British actually finding Jerusalem. Yeah. <laughs> just like we'll just brush, we'll just brush over that for a little bit. Oh, yeah. um, there were a few like partitions. Boyle just loves the British Palestinian territories. <laughs> yeah. so, there were just like a few like partitions. You know, some kind of you know some warlords mm. paid off, but you know we some brought people pe- together. Uh, some- I mean, technically, you could call it that. They were that there were locked doors though. The Olympic <laughs> opening ceremony starts at the Crusades. <laughs> so <laughs> dancing around, holding the head of a Saracen. <laughs> Look, some. Some people might have engaged in some light slaving, but you well, know. I was, I think, I'm just saying yeah. that, like, it's not when you think about Danny Boyle's vision and the politics running through it. It is that particular kind of English socialism, which isn't very Marxist at all. And I think mm. there is a strong sense of that within Corbynism today. That's my that's mm. my argument. Yeah. That's my unpopular opinion. Well, I think that's not unpopular with me, but I don't know how in touch I am with everyone else. We don't know how popular like, you are. No, no, that's very true. I, like, the, I know I'm not we, popular. We don't know when the Brendan sim- symbiote's like, going to yeah. come out. Because, <laughs> like, as, as, as I've previously mentioned, I just, like, hate mawkish sentimentality in all its forms. So I do hate all of the Labour Party political broadcasts because they're all just like, oh, isn't it great, the NHS? Oh, God, blimey, governor, like that kind of... It's just like, come on. It's like, the NHS is a good service, but it's not like... I don't, like, sit at home, like, looking at the NHS logo going, ah, like... I don't want them to get rid of it. I mean, the thing is, like, like, genuinely, my partner cried at that Our Town PPB because he was like, so, like, the idea of, like, the town was like... Wow, you found the opposite person of me. This is amazing. And I'm really glad about that. (laughs) 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 To be fair. So glad. But, like, like the idea of, like, the town had, like, such emotional resonance for him, like, growing up in one. And Mm. I was just like, yeah, but, like, you're not from, like, the seaside. He was like, I know, but still... (laughs) <laughs> the little fishing boats. Uh. I like the accent. <laughs> this, this I'm is, not even sure if that is his accent. That was the Labour political vision town. is about the little fishing boats. <laughs> Bring back the little fishing boats and the jam. <laughs> so, uh, any case, this is, this is. I think you can. I think if we talk like if that that vision of history is essentially Whiggish, that there is. We started here, and everything has been building to this particular moment uh, in the Lee Valley, which has been uh, militarized, cleared out, and will now contain quite a bit of dancing, and at one point dropping seven billion small pieces of confetti from a plane to represent every person in the world. 
Wow. Yeah. And how they will be discarded like chaff <laughs> from the spaceship that Elon Musk takes to Mars. <laughs> um, so, uh, sort of. Was go- that confetti biodegradable or is it like all going to be like in the bellies of little fishes now? Oh, oh. I mean. Oh, no, not the little this fishes. Was, this was. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. This was 2012 before anyone knew about, um, you know, like climate change or anything. Before you know, Blue but, Bla- yeah. Planet 2. Yeah, this is before Blue Planet 2. So almost certainly it is made of some discount plastics. Um, so the. Um, so basically, we we carry on up the Thames. Uh, we we the camera f- uh, goes up the Thames. We go past the Oxford Cambridge Boat Race, uh, Eton College, the University of Oxford itself. All of the things, of course, that have made Britain great. All of the little symbols that definitely you know are providing us with um, the wonderful leadership we've come to expect. And um, then we go into e- England's green and pleasant land. As we said, there is. Uh, one is Umbard Kingdom Brunel a huge comes out shot of Swindon <laughs> uh, smashes a drum really hard uh, says some shit from Shakespeare and then the industrial revolution happens and this is the scene that was how it started it's, yeah. it's, an un- it's an unknown bit of history the man with the weirdest name ever comes out and just hit a drum and then suddenly coal <laughs> uh, and this this scene is called pandemonium celebrating Britain's <laughs> birthplace of the industrial Revo- Britain as the birthplace of the industrial revolution the workshop of the world and yes he does invoke the satanic mills thing to be fair to Pandemonium him Pandemonium was Milton's word for hell so yes. that's what I mean by it. it's like very much mm. a sort of English socialist mm. Mm. indeed so the industrial revolution was a time of tremendous excitement but also fear and hardships the living standards of ordinary people rose for the first time in history but their lives were radically disrupted Families are split as the young went in search of work in cities that were overcrowded and overrun with disease. To represent this, of course, uh, a bunch of smokestacks come out of the ground. I don't think the living standards of working people rose for the first time in history. I don't think like I think the working standards of living standards of people have ro- risen since like the year six hundred AD. Like I don't like I think that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say. Like yes. it may have been the most dramatic, but like people weren't living in like mud huts in seventeen fifty. No, remember we're doing Whig history, so yes, actually it was necessary. It did it did and did raise everyone's working standards for the first time. Um, and only only here, of course, uh, there was no other way to do it. People were all like naked and painted um, blue and like warring over like, you know, the fucking pagan uh, stones in, in the ground. Indeed. Yeah. Now, suddenly everything stops. And this is where they, they stop doing history in a linear sense and start saying pandemonium. Here are the disruptions. A hush falls and all eyes turn to a poppy field where a group of soldiers stand in silence. And and through trade unionism and protest, working people were able to solve all these problems. Political upheavals are represented in a parade of pearly kings and queens, Chelsea pensioners, immigrants of the, quote, Windrush generation, uh, and representatives of the Beatles and suffragettes who also fought for women's rights. So all of the... The Beatles. The Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles. The, be- the Beatles. The Beatles. Those and- famous trade unionists. <laughs> The Beatles. <laughs> the Beatles. Uh, and it, this is sort of where it gets into, um, I think, w- one, of the, one of the things, I don't quite know what this means, but it's something that I, keeps, I keep thinking about, is they keep saying, and we got the real people too, to, to join in. So, for example, the suffragettes are joined by the grandchildren of the Pankhurst sisters. Um, the, Windrush, uh, the Windrush generation is represented by the children of the actual Windrush arrivals. The pearly kings and queens... I'm not super familiar with them. I think they're like an East London thing. I don't really know what they are. It's like one yeah. of those phrases that like 
I'm told all the time is meant to represent London, and I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. Not oh, it's just like a, it's like a really outdated Cockney thing. It's, it's like, like a white these... working class thing, this quote unquote, unquote, unquote. Yeah, yeah. It's like a real like Cockney thing. Like people used to dress up in these like pearly suits, like with loads of pearls sewn onto them. And, and that's I don't... how you that's how you get rights for workers is you put on a pearly yeah. suit. But like no one's <laughs> like it's. I think even in the 20th century, it's outdated. So you're like it's like very like yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and so all of, all of the all of these things, you know, like the the Beatles and the Windrush Generation and so on, they're all they're all here. Um, and and of course the uh, the Windrush generate the Windrush Generation played by their own children are the people who are being systematically deported. It would be unsurprising to me if some of the people who were literally in the opening yeah, it was ceremony a going away and, party. Would, <laughs> it would be unsurprising to me if some of the people then who were literally in the 2012 Olympics opening ceremony were at some point between then and now deported by the British state because of the hostile environment. Or at least targeted to an extent that made their lives you know, measurably worse. Yes. They, they all looked at the camera and said, our work is done. And then it was like the Windrush <laughs> generation had to go back to their home planet. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> they like teleported out of the stadium. Um, um, and I think that's, this, this goes back to something I was saying earlier, where it, it feels like... What Whig history wants to do when you look at his when you when you look at history in the way that the London 2012 Olympics does and therefore in the way that people now look at the London 2012 Olympics, you see these problems is basically solved. It's a, the Industrial Revolution was bad. It's a good thing we had trade unionism. Um, remember when women didn't have equal rights? No one's choking female protesters now, of course. Uh, the Windrush generation. I'm glad we're so welcoming of immigrants. However, we're going to deport most of the people actually in this stadium right now. And I'd also say that it just it, gl- it glosses things over to the point where like you fall in love with a symbol of something versus talking about the reality of it. And you you talked about this Riley about them that the American version of the 2012 Olympic ceremony is the, the Obama presidency. Yeah. But all the things that are happening with you know with separation of children at the border and with det- det- detainee camps in America that was started under Obama. But people look back at Obama as this symbol. And in the same way, it's like you can look at the problems that are that were affect that are affecting Britain now and were already manifest at the time. But for somehow things were all better back then because we didn't have Brexit or whatever. And it's just, it's weird mm. to me because that it's, it seems like it's, it's not universal and it's not the same, but it's similar. And it seems like the same people who are in love with that symbol in the US are the same kinds of people who are in love with it in the UK. I mean, I, I agree with you that it's a, it's a Whiggish vision of history. And I think what makes it Whiggish rather than the sort of like um, straight up similarity with the sort of traditions of English socialism that I was identifying was the abstraction from the material conditions in which... Mm the staging takes place mm. and that's what makes it Whiggish. And I think that whether when you're trying to make the same judgment of is that how people perceive and remember Obama is that some people do have a lingering attachment to the some of the more violent processes of mm. the Obama administration, in particular uh, drone warfare, in particular the sort of like hawkishness which dominates some aspects of foreign policy. And for them, that's an integral part of mm. why they think he's a sensible president. Um, and so I think that's a sort of hard one to like match up entirely. Mm. But I do, I do buy your Whiggish like idea of history argument. Finally, mm. I buy it. <laughs> I was, I was like the whole way. I was like skeptical, and I was like, mm. reluctantly, I might come to an agreement. If you like your drone warfare, you can give it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it's, it's. So I think this is, but this is the the essence of that scene, and then. Um, with fortunately, with all of those problems solved, done and dusted, mm. we can move on uh, to celebrating our our wonderful achievements. I'm looking forward to the 2040 Olympic ceremony where we have a tribute to all the soldiers that died in Iran. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me. Uh, um, Show me the lie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're not going to be British soldiers. 
No, it's mm. we're, yeah, we're going to have a tribute to what all of the dr- all of the drone pilots that got uh, um, carpal tunnel Arsene. syndrome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they went down the rankings on Call of Duty. So, distracted by the war. Uh, we move on to the next scene uh, entitled "Second to the Right and Straight On Till Morning." Perhaps the most most mawkishly sentimental. Um, this segment honors two of Britain's greatest achievements. Again, now that the struggles are all behind us and we're done with those. Um, on to Never Neverland. Yes. Mm. <laughs> oh God, damn. Yeah. Uh, Danny Boyle is he? He built the like satire, the satire of his own work into his thing. Absolutely, he mm. is his. Uh, he is he's his own critic, and he's too dumb to realize it. Um, maybe he knew. Maybe, maybe he knew we would have this conversation. Why? Maybe as we start wrapping up the podcast, Danny Boyle enters, and he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, actually, he was a visionary. He's actually an extension of the twenty twelve opening ceremony." This, mm. You know what it is? Um, just like when we read Rory Stewart's um, National Service, no, the article written in the Times about how good an idea National Service would be, uh, and we suspected that the Times is just playing a prank on us in the most recent premium. Mm. Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe all mm. of this compl- all of this completely you know, pants-on-head liberal stuff that we make fun of, maybe they're doing it as a prank on us. Maybe you like keep scrolling through your document of like you know the guide to the ceremony, and then it's like, and then... A few years later, <laughs> a basement in Whitechapel, <laughs> an ethnically diverse group of ragtag media content creators. Yeah. <laughs> Interior day, a fetid basement. <laughs> it is not fetid anymore. We moved to the nicer office. Everyone's nude. We're all sharing one towel. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, I do, that is directly in my line of vision, a damp looking towel. Yeah, it's we, Milo's. We, it's, it's bone dry. I can confirm, <laughs> but it's, it is there. Um, it's covering a page of se- a, a whiteboard of secret plans of yeah. sketches. The to secret do. plans for our own Olympics opening ceremony. Privatize <laughs> Olga. <laughs> we'll explain that later. I would love to say it doesn't say that, but it genuinely does. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, 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 we'll explain that later uh, off the air. Uh, so. <laughs> no one could know. <laughs> this segment honors two of Britain's greatest achievements: its amazing body of children's literature and its National Health Service. Oh my god! I was about to say its amazing <laughs> body of children. I was like, <laughs> like, like a hologram of like fucking Dolphin Square, like showing up. <laughs> Jesus. Peter Pan and Captain Hook, Mary Poppins, Winnie the Pooh, Cruella Deville, the Queen of Hearts, and Harry Potter were all created by British writers. Awesome. Who could forget Britain's long tradition of really hot children? <laughs> Jesus. Fuck off. <laughs> Look, it's kept the British upper classes um, if, and their haircuts busy for years. If Fox is listening to this and clipping oh. it, I in no way condone the comments <laughs> made by my fellow podcaster. You, don't, you yeah. know that Guido doesn't even care about that, right? No, oh, yeah. he doesn't give a yeah. shit. Yeah, you, yeah. you can like, you know, you can post like full bits of context. You can mm. like post loads of context and like, you won't give a shit. You yeah. can mm. go off and kill people with the Contras and that's fine. Yeah, yeah they mm. love it. So, um, what Almost they don't love drink driving laws. What we have in, in this segment is uh, a bunch of nurses push some uh, lit up beds onto the onto the stadium with a bunch of children on them. They all actually work for the NHS. Yeah, more of that thing where they're like, we're not just representing the thing. We're doing the real thing. We got the real Windrush kids, the real descendants of the Pankers, real mm. nurses. This is not a simulacrum. Mm. And, and those are the real nurses who at that time are getting fucked by Andrew Lansley's top-down reorganization yes, of the NHS. It's literally at the same time. Oh, Andrew Lansley. I forgot Andrew about Lansley. him pouring one out for our boy. <laughs> yeah. We also we watched South this Cam's before the recording. Erstwhile. They also made them swing dance for some reason. Yeah, they were. Yes. Don't know why. <laughs> they know. Of course, Danny Boyle would, of course, love the swing hop revival as late as 2012. The lamest music trend since guitars. Um, 
But it is such a strange thing when you think yeah. about the working conditions that those real nurses would have had to be a part of. And then suddenly it's like, okay, now dance mm. in front of the queen. They're being yes. paid eight pounds an hour to do that dance. <laughs> no, they're volunteers. They're getting paid nothing. Oh, wow. Um, they, they essentially dance. Uh, and then they come together, the beds, form the pixels, NHS. Um, interestingly, Jeremy Hunt was trying to get this section axed um, because he didn't want to celebrate the NHS, which he thought was Stalinism. I, 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 he didn't use the word Stalinism. I, I estimate he's probably done that in private, but he was, he was culture secretary at the time, but he was very against the continued existence of the NHS as he continues to be as health secretary. Or form, foreign foreign secretary foreign now. now. What? Yeah. Uh, that's all but the same thing. He continues to be against the existence of foreign. So he really <laughs> he continues like you know the, the same um, as culture secretary against the existence of culture. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is why Matt Hancock has to be every minister because he just unironically loves everything. I mean, to be fit again, I always cite he the one good thing any Tory ever did was act. Matt Hancock accidentally decriminalized grime music effectively. So thank thankful we all all are to him. Also, mm. he is uh, as we said. Labrador, it's not his fault. He just fell in with a bad crowd. Did I ever tell you about the time um, I saw like Stella Creasy and Matt Hancock absolutely like getting lit and turning the fuck up together? At the, I think it was like the Enemy Awards or something. And I was just like, and I was with my friend, and I was like, that's Stella Creasy, and she was like, you're hallucinating. And I was like, it's fucking Stella Creasy, and then she turned around. And I was like, that's Matt Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> imagine, imagine what kind of drug you'd have to be on to hallucinate Stella Creasy and Matt Hancock. That would be a somehow very extreme and that's, also very mundane a, a, drug. A, a, a two C compound that, like, for sure. Outside mm. my own experience, like, I took shrooms once, and I just kept thinking I saw, I saw like Alicia Silverstone. I was like, oh, it's Alicia Silverstone over there. My friend was like, no, and I was like, it's Alicia Silverstone over there. <laughs> <laughs> doing, I love, I love doing two CB in the car park at Oxford Parkway and hallucinating. That Elizabeth Oakeshott is hanging out with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, the NHS is the institution which more than any other unites our nation. It was founded just after World War II on Nye Bevan's famous principle no society can legitimately call itself civilized if a sick person is denied medical aid because of lack of means. No, they should only be denied it if they're foreign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they're a medical tourist, we don't want them. Damn, I hate medical tourists. Um, but again, this is one of these things where, again, it's. It's almost as though it is, in fact, too on the nose that we are celebrating all the imagery and the symbols of this thing that we think unites unites our nation in a useful way while systematically demolishing it. It's almost like there was an audience of people who watched the ceremony. They're like, destroy all of this. Everything in the ceremony has got to go. The <laughs> NHS, people who, whose parents were immigrants. Like, it's just, it, you look at it now and it almost seems deliberate. And obviously it's not, but just it seems, it, it couldn't be more perfect that these are all the things we've been watching you happen. You joke, but uh -oh. I remember the next day after the Olympics opening ceremony, because the scene in the house was mm. um, a mixed race family and it was a black man and a white woman and their mixed race kids and it was either good the daily mail or the sun which literally did yeah. a good god like rubbing <laughs> this multiculturalism in our face and also it's so unrealistic are there mixed race families where the man's still around he'd have left her with the kids it was so ugly oh, wow it was just like like they literally had an aneurysm at like Mm. Seeing a depiction of a mixed race family, so it's so unrealistic. A family in London being able to afford a house. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, yikes! Yeah, yikes! Joke, but it's yeah. true. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I never cease to be surprised by this country. I have to admit, yeah. the only thing we liked about the opening ceremony was all the coal that can stay. <laughs> Burn more coal, more, more fossil fuels. The best yeah. part of the opening ceremony was when the kind of hologram baby came out during the NHS bit. 
Oh, they were celebrating the, the, the Teletubbies? Homage, homage to the boss baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, what JP, the, yeah. Same baby, actually. Same <laughs> actor. Yeah. Was it a hologram baby? It was well, a hologram baby. It was a hologram baby celebrating the invention by Scottish inventors of... Um, a baby? The, <laughs> of, of the, of the Before obstetric. that, humans had to be hatched, fully formed. Yeah, the they did. Yeah. There was actually only one baby and everyone we were all Sir Alexander Graham Byrne. <laughs> we, were all, we were all born Athena style, popping out a forehead. <laughs> um, <laughs> we only two people British enough to get that joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, I think I got it. Um anyway, uh so the, the this continues um a bunch of children's uh literature villains then sort of spring up, a bunch of Mary Poppinses come in and then defeat them with umbrellas, which actually is the most realistic way you're going uh, you're going to get treatment now as a child for any kind of like rare or mental illness uh because the NHS has now been so no, defunded. They don't care enough to hit you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't. Yeah, you need you basically you you can no longer get get treatment or rather the official treatment is now imagine Mary Poppins is fighting your illness. If you want to get hit what you got to do is just storm into one of Markfield's dinner parties. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um and so yes, then it then it 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 continues on to some sort of tributes to again the Brit- the music of the British 1990s and early 2000s back again when everything was good and all of the people who are putting this on were young and their dicks worked and stuff. Exactly. Uh, and they and this we all is- remember Chico time. Yeah. Whose and- dick works during like the ecstasy heyday. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> all the when Tories. They, when they were all lo- <laughs> when they were all loved up in fields. Um, and they're looking back to that, but now we look back to them, of course. Uh, and then there is this final thing, which again, I, I, I tried to find video of, but it's just very sort of hard to follow, which is Frankie and June say, thanks, Tim, where Tim Berners-Lee sends a tweet, uh, celebrating the internet, which he invented, which was free and open and definitely hasn't been privatized since then. Did that tweet say, hello, Twitter, hope this works, lol. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think it was R.I.P. Whitney Houston. Really can't believe this. Actually, Tim Berners-Lee sent a, sent a tweet saying, I invented the web, which was free and open for all, uh, promoted by skincare. What Tim uh, Berners-Lee did, he just retweeted Ben Bradley. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course. So, and then we get to this, then we get to the... Um, one of the one of the first lesbian kisses broadcast before the watershed, especially in Saudi Arabia. Brookie, was it the Brookie kiss? Um, or no, sorry, it was in Saudi Arabia. This was broadcast before the watershed, but then it was I... yes, this love story between um, two people who like leave a phone somewhere. I don't know. It's like kind of like a happy yeah, black yeah. mirror. They got they got um, Princess Anne and the Queen to do it live. <laughs> but uh, and then it's her daughter. <laughs> reprobate i know but just the way you the way you said it made it sound like it was a live kiss rather than like a recording um, um yeah was, that, but was it something to do with the like kiss off brookside was it a different lesbian no kiss? no this is i i was i was i've been reading so much about this the last few days that all of the all of the various takes have run together okay. it was that yeah. the broadcast meant that was the first lesbian kiss broadcast in saudi arabia because um but who was doing the lesbian kissing it was the the two the actors the actresses playing frankie and june Oh, yeah. sorry, no. There's yeah. only one lesbian kiss that I recognise, and it's the Brookside kiss because all of us remember that. I just love the idea of them being like, "What should what should go into the 2012 Olympics opening ceremony?" Well, definitely the cereal Brookside. I mean, you, like, <laughs> there's nothing that says Britain more than Brookside. Hollyoaks, yes. Gower here, yeah, Biker Grove. Don't even think about it. <laughs> even, though I, even though I feel like Biker Grove is the like that was. Oh, there would have been yeah. any excuse to get Ant and Deck in it. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, any case. Um, love Biker Grove. Man. It was so good. Mm. 
any case, that 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 all happens. We we continue to thank ourselves for how wonderful we all are. Then the then some like weird cycling, like a, a non cycling protest, which is they all dress up as doves and bike around the stadium because they didn't want to harm any normal doves. Who among us? Who among us hasn't dressed up as a dove and cycled around East London um, for peace? Yeah, for peace. Yeah. And then uh, they drop seven billion pieces of paper to represent the entire world. And now. Every single, every single person who voted for Change UK has something they, as a political aim, they definitely want, which is they want this forever. Oh no, I've just realized that they should have had it sponsored by Dove and had a bunch of real women cycle around the stadium. (laughs) God. Have you met, have you met thin women? They're not real. (laughs) Don't trust them. Women don't exist. Only talk to men. (laughs) Um, so... That is, and that is essentially the Olympics. That is, that is, that is the Britain as it was presented to us by Danny Boyle, as it has fondly remembered by most of the liberal commentariat. It is the thing that we want to go back to. Uh, but before we, before we transition on to sort of some final thoughts, uh, I want to go back to Fisher. This is from a different K-Punk article. Uh, London 2012 preceded and, accompanied, preceded and accompanied as it was by the authoritarian lockdown and militarization of the city uh, is being held up as the antidote to all discontent. The feel-good Olympics, we are being assured, will do everything from making good the damage done by last year's riots to seeing off the threat of Scottish independence. Any disquiet about London 2012 is being repositioned as griping or cynicism. Such whinging, it is claimed, assumed its proper place of marginality as the vast majority just enjoy the games and opening ceremony and all is vindicated. We was going to get independence, but that was a cracking lesbian kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Let's call the whole thing off. The Olympic semiosphere is one from which all negativity must be banished. They acknowledge that we invented the baby. <laughs> we thought they'd forgotten. <laughs> oh no, you've got my leggy. Oh, it's no good. Damn. Anyway, so that's that's this. What I that's I, I quite like sort of Mark Mark Fisher's writing on this, which is that there is this large performance of 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 a a rump steak that we're stretching over all of the fat and bones that actually is Damn, I love uh, an ancient Greek Britain. sacrifice re- uh, reference. <laughs> uh, so then I, I guess we can ask, what is this British political, the, the liberal, the, sorry, let me take that again. That's like that Stormzy yeah. bit on like Capital Radio where he's like, yep, and the, the thing is like, even, even if, the, see what is, let me start that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the sunlit uplands of liberal Britain before all of the problems started, as far as they're concerned, the mm. imagination that we're at the culminate that we were at the culmination with all of history's problems solved, and then people just sort of started creating new ones afterward, is mm. I think a very people went retro. Yeah, it's a very it's one that it's one that I think is still it's still with us today. I don't think we've gotten over the legacy. I actually think it's more intense today than it was. At the time. Yeah. So you take someone like Chukaramuna, who really interestingly, when he first became the candidate for Streatham, he was running as the left wing candidate in Streatham. He was running as a compass candidate. And he was the mm. guy saying, like, you know, I'm going to take on these Blairites, rare, 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 rare. Like, I've got no idea what he was saying about the Olympics opening ceremony at the time. But now, what's interesting is he's sort of rewriting what his politics were in that early, like, 2010s period in order to, like, fit it within. Um, an ideology and a social base which doesn't really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. It's the it and the 
I mean, like, you can talk all about the fantasy you want then. You're basically just being, you're sort of just, that's sort of one level of media criticism. If you want to get on a second level of media criticism, it's, of course, what is the ideological function in 2019 of the continued remembrance of this thing? And I think it is, it is, it is to tell a story for a politics that has no popular base. It is to tell this, the story of, um, a base of wanting to go back to the contest between Blairism and Cameronism, where things were more or less settled and, and we didn't have, and the problems were in the past. It is the last, it is the end of the end of history. It is the last gasp. It's the best that political ideology can really do, I think. I mean, I think it's, uh, it sort of hints at people's uh, unwillingness to live in the present that we've got. And I think that the way in which people feel about the Olympic opening ceremony, which happened, is an interesting obverse to how people feel about the Brexit celebrations, Festival of Britain, blah, 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 which hasn't mm. happened. And I think both of those things indicate people's unwillingness to deal with politics as it is and who we've got around us. Mm. We're trying to live in two impossible places. One is the future, which is based on a misremembering of the past. And then the other is misremembering mm. a past, which is also a misremembering of the past. Yeah. Damn, every day is a gift. That's why we call it the present. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> modern, modern Britain is just an Instagram caption, isn't it? But on like a very depressing and badly taken picture. Like modern, modern Britain is like, it's one of those pictures, you know, you know that like people you, you hate from university upload of like them and their really boring boyfriend. Um, and they're like sat in front of the TV. They're watching like ITV3 or whatever. And then there's like um, two plates of dinner, which are like, it's like a plain chicken breast with no seasoning and like an undercooked... Uh, Tesco own brand garlic bread and then like a sort of like a pile of like nondescript vegetable and then it says that's British value and it's like can't believe he cooked me dinner cracking night in with this one and there's like a bottle of Blossom Hill in the corner of the shot that is modern Britain it's like pretending everything's fine in what is obviously a terrible situation I was just just kind of thinking about what Ash was saying about um, positive like or maybe what uh, Mark Fisher was saying but I'm guessing you know same thing about like positivity and the idea that like these types of ceremonies almost um they almost kind of uh restrict not even restrict but kind of they they really don't kind of take to criticism that well um and the the whole like you know so i remember when even you know londoners were saying that oh the olympics have kind of you know they've really kind of messed up how people kind of get into work in the mornings because like they've changed mm. all the bus routes and it's really weird you know one of the big things that you know i guess we've forgotten about now is the fact that there were like um, armed police officers on roofs of um, like buildings and stuff because well, they're like anti-aircraft guns on the top of because they blocks. because they were because <laughs> they well they were really they were kind of saying that oh we don't want like, want another because you know it was in the aftermath of the riots right so they're like we don't want like other riots so Boris Johnson put a bunch you know really said well he said that he didn't increased you buy all those water cannons that, that then that turned was, out to be illegal i think that was later i yeah. think that was that later, was later. Okay. um but he was definitely like yeah we've got like armed police officers like on rooftops and stuff and we'll like take out anyone who um, don't even think about coming around our roofs right because you know because they were the tourists like oh we don't know if london is safe and, and stuff like that so basically they created like <laughs> this they created like on top of a security state that already existed to begin with they created like an enhanced security state in London um, and like even kind of saying that like, you know, for the sake of the Olympic Games that last for like two weeks, they've basically like changed the city in ways that disproportionately like hurt the poor and restrict the poor and like prevent people mm. in poverty actually just being able to kind of get on with their lives. And saying that was like, oh, well, you know, you're just, you know, the Olympics are here. Why are you complaining? It's a great yeah. time. The Olympics are here. 
You know, so you, it's kind of, you know, whenever you have these big sporting events, it's sort of like, oh, we can just like forget to talk about politics for yeah. a bit because we should just enjoy like the event. Same with like the World Cup and stuff as well, yeah. right? And that's what Trucker wants to go back to. He wants to go back to a time where people weren't talking about austerity, where people, where yeah. we could just feel good about this it was stuff. Just, yeah. You know, where politics yeah. wasn't making its way into his political career. Why, why are we talking about gentrification and deportation? Why can't mm. we talk about cool things like um, D.REM? Also, uh, like tourists. But I actually think in Chuka's head, it's not that deep. In Chuka's yeah. head, he's like, these are nice things. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice <laughs> don't you like to lights? go back to a time where things were nice? Don't, 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 <laughs> it's an M&S advert. I can see it now. Don't you like the lights and the giant baby? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Remember when Britain had a giant baby? Well, this is, you're, you're, this is, I'll tell you exactly what it put me in mind of. It is um, the That Mitchell and Webb look sketch where they're talking about the ultimate British relaxation DVD that, in- <laughs> that includes settling into a pillow, stifling a Yorkshire puddingy burp, and watching a beef eater being hosed down with heavy cream. <laughs> um, um, so to, um, to conclude, to conclude our, our discussion, I also uh, have found the legacy of the artistic center- centerpiece of the games, the ArcelorMittal orbit, a tower that sort of goes up and then twists around a little bit and then goes down. Um, it was a gigantic sculpture that was Damn, intended. It's 9/11. Well, well, Milo, you sort of not no. quite. But you're almost there. No, I hate it when this happens. Um, oh, were you right by accident? You no, know, he wasn't right by accident, but he was sort of in the same ballpark. He was right adjacent. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, it was a gigantic sculpture that was intended in the official design brief handed to celebrity artist Anish Kapoor. To quote, make an iconic statement about towerness in general. What? Towerness. Yes. Damn. It was a tower that was designed to make a statement about towerness. Um, and it was, I mean, if we, we, we but must. It looks look- nothing like a tower. And that's, yeah, that's why the- it's such an interesting statement on the nature mm, of towerness. Yeah. Do you see? It looks, yeah. It looks a lot like a roller coaster that's been like put through one of those like car crusher things. Yeah. yeah. So my, that's, and I, I mean, look, I, I, I love to draw things together. Actually, th- this is when you know that like anything you do is going to be shit. It's as soon as you start being described as a celebrity artist. That's that. That's like Damien Hurst reached that point, and then it was like, what if you put a shark in formaldehyde? And it's like, okay, yeah, he's yeah. lost it now. What if I we think. made a tower that didn't really do anything? It's, it really it makes you think about towers in general, huh? Damn, it really does. <laughs> yeah. well, everything started with the Tower of Babel, all the way through to the Twin Towers. Damn, exactly. We live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, this seems like the Jared Leto joker kind of moment but <laughs> yeah it's, it's a tower that's been twisted <laughs> so i think uh, we we can comfortably say that britain as the concept introduced in, in this opening ceremony only makes sense if the entire country just like cut to black like in the end of the sopranos however i also have <laughs> to say princess anne starts snogging and it just cuts <laughs> to black <laughs> the credits come down <laughs> awful <laughs> david chase yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it falls to me only to thank Ash for coming out to the studio today. Thank you very much, Ash. Thank you for having me in this beautiful basement. <laughs> uh, so thank you all for listening. To remind you that we have a Patreon, you can subscribe to it. It's only five bucks a month and you get a second episode of this podcast. I was going to say absolutely free, but no, it's five bucks a month. Don't you um, forget it, bitch. Also, we still have a few of our limited edition t-shirts left. Yeah. There are st- and we are going to Birmingham Transformed on the 8th of August and Edinburgh Fringe Festival on the 10th of August. So do come say hi to us at those events. 
Yeah, if you want a t-shirt, there will be some instructions in the description, but basically send an email to trashfuturepodcast at gmail.com. Say whether you're a Patreon subscriber because you get a discount if you are and send us your size and address and we'll send you a payment link. It's so simple. Even Danny Boyle could do it. <laughs> we started Anyways, as a business podcast, but now we're it. actually just a business. We're a business, comma, uh, podcast. We're, we're retail boys. So... Um, there will be a smoke comedy on the 3rd of July featuring uh, Trash Future Champion Pierre Novelli and also Maria Shahata, another Trash Future Champion, Aidan Taco Jones, and someone else. I, I yeah, can only yeah. remember three of them. My brain can only remember three names. Yeah, indeed. So, from our family to your family, later. Later.